0: What Jesus' life on earth means and what his death will mean for us. So these parables are stacked one after another. Chapter 21, chapter 22, and, and on it goes. Matthew's trying to be very specific by recounting In this parable, Jesus is speaking to us about a wedding banquet. And that would be something that would be and should be a joyous occasion. But before we get into that, just uh, parables work in an interesting way. They're more than just sort of a story that's told with a moral at the end of it. They are rather really, they are a story and they have a point. And Jesus tells them frequently so that those who actually need to hear will hear rather than be defensive and put up resistance. That's just like us. When somebody comes at us and says something specific or something direct or something kind of hurtful, it's, we've taken it as hurtful. Our, our defenses are up and we say, well, I'm not sure I'm gonna listen to you. I feel wounded, you hurt me. But a parable is not about us. A parable is about somebody else. And so that allows us to enter into their story. And it's not, Jesus doesn't mean to condemn the, the listeners the listeners to consider where they are in relation to the point of the story. That is the beauty of the parable. is what we're looking at now when Jesus talks about the way that the, his story of the wedding banquet. Just read that, it's Jesus says, and he's talking, by the way, to Pharisees and chief priests and rulers. He's talking to the elite of that society, to the people that that were leaders, they were spiritual leaders, and they had political clout. And he says to them, and to others that are listening, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. So the occasion, as I mentioned, is a wedding banquet, something that should be wonderful and joyful, and really kind of a must-attend kind of event. Why is that? Well, it's the king who's giving the event. And so if you knew what was good for you back in Bible times when the king invited you to come to his son's wedding, pretty much you cleared your calendar. And he's inviting all the people that mattered at that time. And he sends, and it's, yeah, so he's sending his servants out there. And then the striking feature though that we hear is they refuse to come. How is that, that all A-list guest people are saying no to the invitation of the king? This at that time would have been political suicide, if you will, but this is how the parable is working. Jesus is presenting something that makes no sense in order to make a point for us. And what he is saying is that this parable is about the coming of of God's kingdom. He says, what is the king? He starts it this way. What is the kingdom of heaven like? What is it when God's rule and his reign reign finally come to this world. What is that like? It means it to a wedding because it's joyous, because it's change, you know, it changes the status of the son. He's now marrying into a family. It, it means that the rule from the father to the son will go on and will continue. There's a lot of things that are implied in the idea of what a wedding is about. But it is meant to be a celebration. Those that were invited to celebrate are the very people And who should have been are the very people that have refused to come. Now, you know, we all get invitations that maybe we don't want to accept. Let's be honest. You know, maybe you had an invitation to some kind of gathering um, and you didn't want to go, but you decided to go because it was the right thing to do. Or maybe if you're on any kind of mailing list from any kind of store, you're getting invitations to all kinds of things. And you can... I'll just delete those. So there's things that we get invitations to that we don't necessarily want to go to, we don't need to go to, but to actually refuse. Hmm. That'd be like a 49er fan who had Super Bowl tickets, free Super Bowl tickets, to a year in which the Niners actually are de- defending the NFC, the national, the NFC champion, you know, their, their NFC against the AFC, having those tickets and refusing to go. Like, would you do that? No. You wouldn't do that. If you had tickets to Taylor Swift's recent concert, and you were a Swiftie, would and, and, and Taylor says,' sends people to your tour," and says, "You want to come?" And you're like, "I love your albums, but I'm not going." Or Beyonce and her, what, she had a, a recently a world tour. I mean, Levi's stadium is rocking these days. It's got all kinds of people and all kinds of things going on. But it, it's like something like that. A football fan, a, a real fan of it, either of these very accomplished singers saying, I'm not going. So then the king sends more servants, and he sweetens the pot. He says, tell them that my, my cattle are butchered. We're ready to go. We're having a barbecue. This is great. We're, we're adding to this. Tell my football 49er fan that he can actually meet Shanahan. If you go to Beyonce's concert, you can hang in the Lux box with Jay-Z and the family. That pot still doesn't get sweetened. They're still not going. In fact, they now start to treat this. Some of them say, I'm just not interested. I got other things to do. I'm looking at my field, I'm checking on my business, I'm doing something else. Others are pretty belligerent. They start literally pushing on them, start assaulting them, they even kill some. Now Jesus is saying this so that those who are the rulers and the Pharisees, they know how their ancestors treated the prophets. Jesus is the culmination of a line of prophets and people that God has sent through the centuries to warn Israel, to tell them that when they abandon God, when they abandon Yahweh, when they run after false gods, when they run after the things of this world, it will always mean separation, which will always result in destruction. But Jesus has come to make, to offer a once and for all atonement for that, a once-for-all sacrifice, to say it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus is offering them, through this parable, a way to be right with the king once again. To to live once again as Israel was called to live, but now not necessarily through the sacrificial system, but through acknowledging Jesus as Messiah, as the one who's the culmination of all things in goodness, truth, and beauty. Sometimes it's hard to understand what is the kingdom of heaven? What does that actually mean? It can mean a lot of different things. Yes, it is a synonym of for salvation. Yes, it means it's the rule and reign of God. The early church wrestled with what that meant. They were trying to figure out how do we actually convey what this means to a world that doesn't really have that construct. They... they Connected, they latched on to the Greek and Roman culture that said, all people know that there's something in this world that's called goodness. There's something in this world that actually starts with truth, and from that flows goodness, and from, from that flows beauty. Truth they called the logos, which is what John uses to describe Jesus. Goodness is what we think when we talk about morality. They use the word ethos, from which we get ethics. What is right and what is wrong? And beauty is the word that we get, um, beauty is that sense of the emotions, the pathos, that sense of oh, when you see something and it's just beautiful to you, that, that's, that's a, a human response. And so the church thought, well, how do we convey that? Let's use those categories. And so they said, well, yeah, what is true is Jesus is true. What is good is Jesus and what he's done. What is beautiful is Jesus and, what he, and who he is that now, but when we go to the banquet of the king, when we move into that wedding feast that's being talked about, now we get to experience the fullness of that. It's one thing to get an invitation, you're like, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to this party, this should be good, it's a destination wedding, it's worth, the, you know, it's worth what I'm paying to get there, and then when you get there, you're like, oh, this exceeded my expectation, this is, I don't know if this is too crude, Don't. I hope not, but this is like the ultimate destination wedding. This is, the Lord is preparing us for a banquet that we will be with him in eternity. So that's what the offer is. It makes the refusal of those that are hearing all the more shocking. They're refusing this goodness, this truth, this beauty. And the other way that this parable is working by using the wedding banquet is that like a wedding, a wedding is a limited time offer. If the wedding is next Saturday, you can't go two Saturdays from now. There's going to be nobody there. No bride, no groom, no people, no one. This is what Jesus is trying to convey. If you don't take advantage of this, respond to the invitation of the servants to come to the wedding. There will be a time where you will not be able to respond anymore. This is why Bible scholars consider this one of the judgment parables. It is, in part, a judgment on the rulers of the Jewish nation at the time who have refused Christ as the Messiah. But from our perspective, those hearing this, those reading this parable today, it is an invitation. That invitation still exists. It's still out there to come to the wedding banquet of the Son. So, how do we respond? Where, where does this find us in the parable? You know, Part of the way that we interact with parables is to say, well, where, it, does this speak to me personally? Where, where might I be? If you're part of the people that, some of us have friends or, or people that are listening to this, uh, eventually this will be on the podcast. You may be in a place where you've had an invitation like this. Maybe servants didn't go out and knock on your door, but they went and they said, you had a friend or a family member or a grandmother or a colleague or a college roommate and they started talking to you about this Messiah, Jesus. They started talking to you about a life that's called life eternal that surpasses anything we can imagine in this world in this time. They talked to you about the truth of who Jesus is, the goodness of what he came to be, the, the beauty that he is. The fact that all that we see is in some state of disrepair, decay, destruction, and on its way to death, and that isn't the way that we were ever meant to live. We were meant to live in the presence of the king, in the beauty of his realm, under his rule. Maybe you have somebody who's been acting as that servant, and you've said, I'm too busy. I've got, I'm tending to my sheep. I've got my cattle. I've got my business. It's not too late for this invitation. The wedding has not taken place as far as you're concerned. It is still available. And it maybe it's a recent conversation that you had, or maybe it's a conversation that you had decades ago. but it's still an invitation. It's still on offer. The Lord still desires that you come to the wedding feast. How will you respond? I pray that if you're hearing that and you haven't responded, that you would respond, that you would say, "Lord, I RSVP, I'm coming to the wedding. I'm coming to the supper of the Lamb. I think for many of us here in in this sanctuary this afternoon, we may not find ourselves as one of the people on the invitation list. We already accepted. We're in. We got our QR code ready. But we are the servants who have been sent out. We're the ones that that go in and start talking to people. To the guests that should be on the list, they're sent twice. But then there's another time where they're sent out because the king's banquet hall will be full. He will have all the people that he's ordained to have. And we, his servants, are the ones that are sent out. So he says to them, go into the streets. I think old King James says, go into the highways and byways. Go out there. Bring the good and the bad. Bring the people that weren't on the original list. Like, I don't know if I was on the original list. I'm just glad I got there. Some how some way, shape, or form. I'm glad some servants came to me in my college years and started talking to me about this. So servants are sent out and they to be, what, what, what are the servants doing? What would we describe what they're doing? Well, they're talking about, you know, come to the wedding feast. But essentially, we would say that they're on mission. They're on mission. What's their mission? To go invite people to be part of this wedding banquet. To not be left outside. To not be, just still doing their own thing, still doing what the world offers, because this world will come to an end. No matter how far you got in this world, it will come to an end. So they're on a mission to introduce the kingdom of God, to introduce Jesus Christ. What is the mission? Somebody asked me that uh, when we were talking earlier this week, and I said, you know, I don't think Holy Trinity... What is mission statement. We should probably put that on. We have the same mission statement that every church has, which is to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what that means is not only sharing the gospel, the good news, but also being the gospel. The, the, the best testimony that people will see about oftentimes is the way it comes out of our sense of Christ-likeness rather than what we say. Yes, we need to say that, but often they'll look at our our behavior. The guy that led me to the Lord in college was a guy that had both the words, the gospel presentation, but also a life that backed it up of integrity. And those, both of those spoke to me. I'm not sure I would have responded if one had been, uh, if only one of those had been there. So we are, our mission is to be the people of Christ. Our mission is to go and make disciples, but that's common to every church. Why are we doing, what's the context in which we're doing this? We're doing this in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, this is an amazing place for a lot of good reasons and a lot of not so good reasons. I mean, it, in terms of its, uh, it's a place of amazing capability and accomplishment, uh, out of that has come an abundance in just about any manner that you would describe, but also with that comes great disparity people much more marginalized than they were five years ago or 10 years ago. This is a place that, while we don't want to get too caught up in the achievement because there's a downside. Anytime in the Bible that things go well for people, they start to forget God and start to think they can do it themselves. We live in Silicon Valley, which according to one philosopher, Yuval Harari, he says that this is the new religious center of the world. He says that because the older religious centers of what you consider the Middle East, the place of Judeo-Christian faith, Judaism first, Christianity, and Islam, that those are no longer relevant compared to what technology does. Technology can bring answers that those religions used to have. It can talk about what happiness is. It can talk about meaning. With technology, we can even gain some aspect of eternal life. This is the context that we're in right now. These are people working on such things. But within that, we have to say uh, directly, but also with humility, that that isn't the gospel. That is the creature saying that we don't need a creator, nor were we created. Already, you can see the problems with that. But we as the church who are mission, we who are the servants of to go into these places, into these places of work, into these places of conversation and to say, hang on, time out. Where where did all this stuff that you're changing and all this silicon that you're using, where did that come from? How is that really going to solve what is our greatest issue, which is our separation from God the Father? No technology will deal with that. No technology was ever designed to deal with that. Jesus the Messiah, the one for whom we will who is the bridegroom of the church. We are the bride, and he is the bridegroom according to some description. He is the one who died for us, that we would live forever in an existence that we cannot imagine. We only get a glimpse of from Revelation. So we have to be people that say, hang on, that's not the gospel. Go into the streets. The nice thing about being in the valley is there are people from every tribe and every nation right here, right around us. That's a wonderful opportunity. We want to be about that. So how do we do that? Briefly, I only want to touch on the Philippians reading, the New Testament reading, which goes with our theme. Remember that the wedding banquet is a joyous occasion. One of the greatest opportunities we have as followers of Jesus is to be people of joy, to be people that were just the love of God and the grace of God and the sense of our security in God is just what we have on display. It's not circumstantially based. If we get good circumstances, that can be kind of a plus, but it's not what carries us through. What carries us through is the Lord. And so to close, Philippians 4 just gives us an encouragement, a final exhortation. This was the New Testament reading that we had. Paul writing after imprisonment, being in prison, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And what? And the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we live out of that place, people will really want to know what is going on. What, are, what do you know that I need to know? What banquet are you attending that I need an invitation to? I pray that we in Silicon Valley would embody that grace of God more and more. As we do, he will add to those, add to this grace the things that we're doing, and we look forward to that. But we are guests at a banquet, and we're servants as well. And we just want to invite more folks to participate in it so that When we are finally together, Revelation 9.19 says this. At the wedding feast of the Lamb, the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who have been invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. Amen.